Let me start this morning by saying Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Christmas is tomorrow. Anyone else feel like they're not ready for Christmas? Yeah? Yeah, I feel like that. We, we, we're talking about that a lot in our household right now, too, especially. But really, that's been the whole point of this series we've done on the awe of Christmas, right? We started this month looking, talking about how we have these wayward and distracted hearts at this time of year. And we're distracted not, not necessarily just by bad things, but we're distracted also by good things, things that we should be doing. And yet we can find ourselves focusing on the wrong part of, of Christmas, right? We started with, with uh, the, the, the narration, the, the, uh, the event of the uh, visit of, of Gabriel to Zechariah as he told Zechariah that his wife was going to be pregnant and, and John the Baptist was prophesied, right? The forerunner of the Messiah, and we recognized that week that God wants to prepare our hearts for Christmas. N- not just this time of year, but he wants to prepare our hearts for the Christ at all times throughout the year. And then Paul spoke on the announcement of Christmas, about, about Gabriel visiting with Mary and, and telling Mary that she was going to be with child and she was going to be the, the mother of Messiah. And he gave us those seven awesome sayings from Mar- Mary's visit with Gabriel. And last week, we looked at the anticipation of Christmas and, and Mary's excitement and, as she rushed to go see and spend time with Elizabeth. The, the two, two women, one older, one younger, both pregnant with an incredible story. And all the events around the Christmas story, when you stop and really consider it, should, should give you a sense of awe. Just the, the, the awe of God and what he's doing in, in this world, what he's doing in our lives. So today we celebrate the arrival of Christmas, the arrival of Christmas. Now I said last week how much I love Christmas morning as a kid and the presents. And, and there's another, there's a kind of gift. I don't know if you've ever had one of these gifts where it's like it's a pro- progressive gift. You ever had one of those where you'll get a gift uh, from under the tree, and it'll be something small, maybe something useful, but maybe it doesn't really make sense why you're getting it. Um, maybe it's you get you'll get some luggage for Christmas. And then later on, you'll get a trip, right? So a progressive gift. Maybe you'll get a, a case for a phone, and you realize, well, this, this case doesn't fit my phone. And then later on, you get a new phone that fits the case you got, right? These progressive gifts and how these gifts tend to sort of uh, move on. Sometimes we get enamored, though, with that first gift. I mean, if you've really wanted luggage for a long time, you get some nice luggage, you, you might be, like, really enamored with the gift, and not realizing and missing out on the trip that's about to come. It's kind of like what C.S. Lewis said. He said, it's like being an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. It's more of an issue, though, for our 21st century culture, where we we get like this. We get focused on the the here and now, the, the distractedness, and we miss not only the Christmas story, but what the Christmas story points to. I mean, it would seem that everyone in the story of Christmas that we've been looking at in Luke 1 and 2, they were all looking forward to. They were joyful at the birth of this baby. But I think it's safe to say that each one of these people were also had a keen interest in why this baby was born, which was for their salvation, for our salvation. And so really the arrival of Christmas signals the anticipation of salvation. If you have your Bible, open up to Luke Chapter 2, we're going to read the, the Christmas story again in its entirety. I think it's just great to read that Christmas 
story. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. It's an amazing story. I mean, really, if you stop and really consider all the pieces, it should really drive you to awe of God. I think it's really interesting. One thing it says about the, about the shepherds, what they said. They, they said, let's go see this thing that has happened. Christmas has happened. Christmas has arrived. And um, many of the people in this story we just read have, play a part in this Christmas story. They play a part in the arrival of Christmas. Let's walk through really quick and see what we can learn about each of these characters uh, in, in the story here. First of all, we have Caesar. In the first, first three verses, Caesar decrees. That's how he plays a part. So Caesar here, this is Caesar Augustus, otherwise known as Octavian, and Octavian was really the founder of the Roman Empire. He was the first emperor of the Roman emperor, Empire. And he ruled ro the Roman Empire from 27 B.C. to 14 A.D. And while he had gone and sort of taken control of other nations, it wasn't really so bad. Sure, they were oppressed, but it was still pretty good. After all, they had what we know as the Pax Romana, or the Roman peace. And really, at the time that he ruled, Rome was, or the Roman Empire was very much... Um, free of armed conflict inter internally. There's a sense of peace for the people. It says here that he said he's, he made a decree that all the world should be registered. Now, when he says all the world, he means all the Roman world. And this would have been an, an opportunity for him to, to, first of all, to gather taxes, but also to get an idea of, of what he had available to him in a, from a military perspective. So we have emperor, but we also have Quirinius here mentioned, who is the governor of Syria. 
Now, here's a piece of the story where it gets a little dicey for some. Uh, Many historians will point out that Quirinius was actually a governor of Syria in 6 to 9 AD. But Jesus would have been born 4 or 5 BC. So how does this work? How does this happen? Well, the reality is there's a couple, there's actually a list of different possibilities. The first thing is this. The word used here for the first registration is the word prote, which also can be translated as earlier or before. In other words, he talk, Luke is talking about the well-known registration of Quirinius. He's talking about the one before that, a lesser-known registration. There's also some, some evidence to suggest that Quirinius actually shared a governorship in Syria earlier. He shared a governorship with Sentius Saturninus, Saturninus from 9 to 6 BC, which would have been right in the time frame we're looking at. Each of those guys would have had different responsibilities within Syria, but they both would have been called governors. So while this is happening, and, and Quirinius, yeah, sure, he was governor from 6 to 9 AD, there is evidence to suggest he also had uh, played a part in the role, or played a role in the story of Christmas earlier than, than that. So Caesar decrees, and we find Joseph, we meet Joseph here, and he goes. Joseph goes. So Joseph goes from Nazareth, right, the hometown where he and Mary would have met, where they grew up, where they were living, where he was working. And they go. They go to Bethlehem. So I actually went and figured out a Google map to walk from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Uh, And it says it's a 34-hour walk today. That's a long walk. You've got this arduous journey. I mean, they didn't have the sidewalks then that they have now. Um, But you've got this arduous journey at uh, 145, 155 kilometers, 34 hours, probably four to seven days journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem for them. And they have this, they have this uh, journey. Again, remember, Mary is not just like with child, like she is with child. Like she's like almost not with child that close, <laughs> as we know. And they go to Bethlehem. And, and this Bethlehem, we might call this to be the right place, okay? The right place. We'll we'll come back to the right place later, but he goes to Bethlehem, the city of David, it's called. And it's called a city, but really it was quite small, more like a town, but it was small in size, but it was great in importance because we know this would be the city of David, the city of King David, right? He's the king to end all kings for the Jewish people. Bethlehem is is two words, right? It's, It's Beth and Lehem. Beth meaning house, right? And lehem meaning bread. So it's the house of bread. It's probably named that referring to the bountiful fields that would have been around. In Micah, it's called Bethlehem Ephrata, meaning, which Ephrata means fertile. It would be like a mild climate, lots of rain, lots of ingredients for bread. We're told here that Joseph is of the lineage of David. He's got, gone to the right, the right place. He's of the right lineage. Because we're told in the Old Testament the Messiah is going to sit on the throne of David forever. And so he has to be born in Bethlehem, and this is where he's heading. David's lineage plays a very important piece in this. And, and the, the monarchy of Israel was a hereditary monarchy. So it passed down from father to son to son to son. As we move on, we see he goes here. He goes to Bethlehem with Mary, his betrothed. 
Now, it says they're betrothed here, but I want to suggest they were probably married at this point. And the reason I say that is in Matthew, when Joseph is visited by the angel in Matthew, and he's told that what's happening to Mary is of God, it's of Yahweh. And so he says, the, the angel says, no, take Mary to be your wife. This is of God. And we're told in Matthew, it says, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. When he woke up, he took her as his wife. So it sounds like he married Mary right then. So when it talks about, Luke's talking about her, them being betrothed here, he's alluding to the fact that while they are married, they have not yet consummated their wedding, their marriage. Caesar decrees, Joseph goes, Mary labors. Mar Mary labors. Right? Verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. It's interesting that Luke's account of the birth of Jesus is two little verses. That's it. There's not a whole lot recorded about the actual birth of Jesus. So you might think that there'd be more, maybe in Matthew tells a, has more about the birth itself. Actually, Matthew has less, and Mark has nothing about the actual birth of Jesus. Because it's not really about the birth of Jesus, it's about Jesus, the fact that he came. And it tells us here that, that Mary uh, gave birth to Jesus at the right time, at the right time. Paul, the apostle, actually, when he's talking about this in Galatians 4, says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. There was a specific time that this was supposed to happen. And, of course, in God's plan, all the things he has planned will happen in his time. And so Mary gives birth. She's the right mother, right? She's the right mother. We're told in, in prophesied ahead of time in Isaiah that this baby would be born to a virgin. The virgin will give birth. Mary is that virgin woman. We're told also here that she takes that baby and she wraps him in swaddling cloths, which is not a very uncommon thing. In fact, all the babies in town would have been wrapped in swaddling cloths. We still wrap babies in swaddling cloths. We swaddle them, right? Tie them, tie them up. Wrap them up. That's when they get a little bit older. Uh, you, you wrap them up nice and tight so they feel comfort, they feel warm, right? You're, you wrap them, swaddle them like that so that they, they don't, you know, they're, they're comfortable, they don't roll off a couch as well. Oh, they can be pulled off a couch, as we learned years ago. But swaddling the, the baby was not uncommon. Well, the next piece is very uncommon. It says it was said the baby was laid in a manger, laid in a manger, a feeding trough for livestock. Now, I don't know about you, but we, we never did that. We never put our baby in like a, a feeding, feeding trough. Um, we often think of that feeding trough as being that wooden crib we see, right? The, the, the typical nativity scene. I hate to burst your bubble. It wasn't probably a wooden crib like we see in our nativities. It would have been a, a stone, a big piece of stone carved out for livestock. And the reason why this is happening is because there's no room for them. 
There's no room for them in the inn. Like, they're likely staying at a distant relative's, right? Bethlehem's not that big, so they, they wouldn't have, have, have had a whole lot of places to stay, but likely with a distant relative. And, and you have to understand that in, in that day, like, your livestock came in your house with you at night. You wouldn't have had a whole herd, but you would have had a couple, a goat, maybe a, uh, to, to bring in with you. And so they would have stayed uh, with the livestock. So while it's not necessarily a stable we're talking about, um, it's still not a great situation, right? There's no room for them in this place, and so they're staying with the animals. Caesar decrees, Joseph goes, Mary labors, and the angels announce. The angels announce. To me, this is one of the greatest pieces of the story when I think about just how everything happened. Right? In the same region, there were these shepherds out in the field. They're doing their job. It's just an ordinary day. It's an ordinary night. They're doing their job watching the flocks. And out of nowhere, one angel appears. And I, I want, it doesn't tell us this, but I'm, I'm going to suggest it's likely Gabriel. He's been involved in all the other visitations. But here's this one angel comes. And this angel announces the birth of the Savior. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Think about that for a second. The birth of the Savior of the world is first being announced to shepherds. Now, often we'll talk about how lowly shepherds are, how dirty they are, and, and they probably weren't the best-smelling individuals. But also, shepherds were actually a little bit, uh, they were more than lowly. Think about the, the historical shepherds. You've got King David was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. All these great prophets of Israel were shepherds. And yet, it's been compared to, this announcement to the shepherds has been compared to if there was a birth in the royal family in England. And they, they get the royal announcement, they get it all prepared, and, and the, the town crier gets in the limo and they take him for a drive to, so he can announce the birth officially. And they take him down to the docks. And they announce to the dock workers that, that someone's been born, a prince has been born into the royal family. It's kind of like this for this announcement to the, to the shepherds. It's kind of like, we wouldn't pick them if we were writing this story, we wouldn't pick shepherds to be the first people we would send the announcement to. And yet here we have this angel. And this angel says, the Savior is born. And he says to the shepherds, here's how you can find this baby. He'll be in the swaddling cloths. Shepherds knew that'd be normal. They, they understand that. But it's going to be lying in a manger. Wait, wait What? For, for them, like, that's their sheep. Their sheep would eat out of mangers. They, that's what they would eat out of. And the baby's lying in a manger? That would sound a little strange for them. And as they're still processing this little piece of news, the whole sky opens up with a multitude of angels. The heavenly host praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Can you imagine it? It'd be so dark, or out in the sun, maybe starlit, and here's these shepherds out there minding their own business, and all of a sudden it lights up because there's an angel 
he gives them some pretty big news, and then all of a sudden, like, the sky is ablaze with the heavenly host, telling them glory to God. The angels announce, the shepherds go and tell. You'll notice the, shep- the angel doesn't tell the shepherds to do anything. They said, this is how you're going to find the baby. They don't say, now go find it. But, but regardless, when the angels went away from them, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. The shepherds go right away. They go with haste, it says. There's no banter back and forth. There's no questioning. Did we really see what we saw? Did they really mean that we're supposed to go and check this out? Was that just sort of like some information for us? No, they go with haste. And they go and they try to find this baby, and they find the right baby. They probably didn't walk up to the right door the first time, though. They probably had to find and do a little bit of first century hide-and-seek. But they did find that baby, just as the angel had said, wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And, and it must have been really exciting for them to have heard this news, to see the angels, and then to find this baby, which confirms what they'd been told. They were so excited. They were telling everyone about what had happened, what they had experienced, what they had seen. It says that everyone who they came in contact with all wondered at what they were talking about. The shepherds were kind of the first evangelists. The baby's born. Now they're the ones telling everyone. People are wondering and thinking. In fact, even Mary herself is wondering. Verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She treasured, she pondered, she considered the whole experience. What did, what did Mary ponder? You know, or as the song says, what did Mary know? I mean, she was taught about her, her father, her ancestor, uh, Abraham, growing up, right? Taught about all the Jewish ways growing up. Maybe she's pondering meeting Joseph and, and that little romance or whatever you want to call it back then. She's probably pondering the angel visit. When, when she was first told she was going to be the one to bear the Messiah. She's pondering the fact that she's even pregnant. Like, how did this even happen? The angel said it would happen it happened. I just know what happened. I believe it. She's pondering her cousin Elizabeth, the visit she had with her, the time they spent together. You know, here you have the two, the two women, right? The older, the younger, both pregnant in a miraculous way. She's probably pondering the fact that she's married. You know, you know when you were first married, those first few months, sometimes you have to stop and remind yourself, I'm, I'm married. Uh, I'm married to someone pretty great. She's probably pondering that journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Maybe her her legs still hurt. I don't know, did she really have a donkey? We don't know for sure. But that was a long long walk, a long journey regardless. She's pondering that journey. She's pondering the birth of the Savior. She she got to hold Messiah in her arms and, and look at him right in the eyes and to see him. And she's pondering the shepherd's excitement the shepherd's experience. It's a lot to take in. And the last piece is the shepherds rejoice. They went went back to the field 
glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. It's probably a little bit of an extra bounce in their sandals that night, going back and sharing with each other. Could you imagine? There's probably no sleep happening for them that night. Just retelling the story, and really the angels came to us and told us, of all people, Throughout the story, we keep seeing how God's timing and God's plan is coming to fruition. Right? We mentioned at the very beginning that it was at the right place, that they had gone to Bethlehem for the baby to be born. Micah 5.2 tells us that's where Messiah is going to be born. But interestingly enough, prophecy also suggests that the Messiah is going to be a Nazarene. So how is that possible? Most babies are born in that day and lived where they were born. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he was actually from Nazareth. Isaiah 53, 3. It was the right place. It was the right lineage, right? Joseph comes from the line of David. And that was very important to the Messiah being born in that line. It was the right time. In Daniel, we, we often forget that God's timeline, he's given us hints. He's told us what's going on. But it was the right time. And we point to the fact to Daniel chapter 9 for that being, this being the right time for the birth of Messiah. See, from a divine perspective, it was the right time simply because Jesus, or simply because God said this is the time. But also, the prophecy in Daniel talking about the 69 weeks, 69 times 7 years, the calculation can actually be made pretty close to the date of Jesus' death. Sir, uh, Sir Robert Anderson did it. He wrote a big, a big essay on it. And he actually calculated with, you know, times and I don't know how he all did it. But calculated that the actual prophecy of Daniel was pretty much accurate. And, and that, that Jesus being born at this time was precisely the right time. I mean, from a human perspective, it was the right time for other reasons. At the time, there was a great anticipation from the Jews that the Messiah was going to come. It was the right time because Rome had already unified much of the known world. And because Rome, and we had this Pax Romana, the Roman peace, it became very easy and simple to travel from land to land, allowing the spread of this news to continue. <coughs> See, Rome had conquered militarily, but also Greece had kind of conquered culturally. At the time, this, this empire, there's actually there's a common trade language, an early form of common Greek. It was the trade language. It was spoken throughout the empire. So as people went from town to town, they actually could share the news about Jesus in this common language. And we said this was the right mother. Mary, the virgin, will give birth to a son. And it's interesting that Matthew really points that out, that that even though they were married, they didn't, they didn't consummate their marriage till after the baby was born. She was a virgin. The right mother. And it was the right baby. Isaiah 9, 6, right? says, a child would be born, a son would be given. And those words are really important. You know, a child was born, but the son of God wasn't born. The Son of God was given. See, Jesus has existed for all time from 
from history, eternity past. He didn't start his life that day. He started life as a human, as a fully man, as well as fully God. He was the right baby. Now, each of these people played a part in the role of, in the arrival of Christmas. Each of them had their own thoughts, their own considerations about what had happened. The question for us is, what are we going to do about the arrival of Christmas? We, we've been talking all month about this awe of Christmas, the awe of God, what He's done for us. And now that Christmas is here, what are you going to do with this? I think we look at our, our, our passage for today, we find the first thing we need to do is we need to praise God for His incredible gift. I think everyone involved in this, this retelling, this event, is in praising God for this gift. Rejoice because salvation has come. It's really why do we even need Christmas, right? It's not just about celebrating the baby. We need, we need Christmas because we need a Redeemer. We need a Savior. And we need a Savior because our ancient heirs, Adam and Eve, sinned in the garden. God had created this world that was good. There was no sin. Then Adam and Eve were, were in the garden, and they found this one forbidden tree, and they took the fruit off it, and, and they ate of it. And as soon as they did that, sin entered the world. And, within it, with, and with sin came brokenness and illness and disease. <coughs> and as much as people tried to solve the problem. They tried to work as hard as they could to solve this sin problem. They never could. And the story's still the same for us, is we can never be good enough. There's no line of, of good enough. You can't work at it. You can't pay enough. You can't do enough. The reality is we need a Redeemer to save us from our sin. And so God promised a Redeemer. He said, I will send you a Messiah. And that's what these people are praising God for. This gift is the Messiah. And I think that each one of them that were part of that, that, that Christmas morning would have been readily happy to accept that free gift of salvation. What Jesus was going to offer. See, what Jesus offered was himself. He offered his body as a sacrifice for us. He lived a sinless, perfect life. And yet he went to the cross. Sinless. Not because of things he did, but because of things we did. The things we do. There's no checklist of what you have to do to, to, to accept this salvation. You simply need to accept the free gift. He offers it freely to all of us. And even if that's something you've already done, if you've already accepted that free gift, you should spend some time thanking God that, that He has done that for you. But maybe this Christmas is the Christmas you look at that baby in the manger and you see Him differently. I said it earlier this month that Christmas is meaningless without Easter. There's no point to Christmas without Easter. Right? We, we have that same baby Jesus in the manger is the same man Jesus on the cross. 
And when he died for your sins that day, he took your sin. And you simply need to accept that free gift. It's not where it ends for us, though. I mean, if, if it's such a great gift, we should be telling others about it. Go tell others about what Jesus has done for you. Just like the shepherds did. They went and told. And I gotta tell you, it's not nearly as difficult and onerous as you might think it is, sharing your faith. For some people, it's very easy. You maybe have the gift of evangelism. For others, it's something you're terrified about the thought about. It's not that hard. Go and, and ask them if you can pray for them. Maybe you can ask them quickly, can I tell you why I have hope? Can I tell you about why we have Christmas? It's not that big a deal. The news is a big deal, but sharing it is not that hard. Go and tell others about what Jesus has done for you. So Christmas has arrived. We've been anticipating it, and Christmas is now here. But don't stop here. Let the anticipation, the arrival of Christmas, signal the anticipation of salvation. When Christ will return for his bride, for the church. What a day that will be. That's the day that we might see our loved ones. If we don't, aren't taken to be with Jesus before that, that's the day we might see the loved ones who have gone on before us. It's something that, that should excite us. Jesus said he's coming back. It could be today, it could be next week, it could be years from now. In the meantime, we have a job to do. To tell others about the Jesus of Christmas. The Jesus of Easter. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we are grateful that we can celebrate the arrival of Christmas. We celebrate this time when when you sent your son into this world, Jesus, God, became man, wrapped in human flesh, walking with us, teaching us, eating with us. Lord, we're thankful for Jesus, for the, the experiences he had on this earth and how he understands what we're going through. He understands hunger. He understands exhaustion. He understands the loss of, a, loss of a loved one. And God, because he's our Savior, he understands what we're going through. So we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his gift of salvation he's given us from the cross. May we celebrate Christmas this year with our minds anticipating the work of Christ on the cross. And so we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.